Hi there, Mike Lesseter here from Farm Equipment and Rural Lifestyle Dealer Magazines. Thanks for joining us today for How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs. Today I'm with the brother-sister team of Glenn and Janae Danuser of Danuser Machine Company out of Fulton, Missouri. As you'll hear, my job was less about asking questions and more like mediating a lively discussion between siblings. In fact, close your eyes for a moment. Imagine a dimly lit country music joint. Glenn and Janae are there and wave you over to the table by the bar and order a round. That drink would be what they call a Danuser legend, by the way. And shoot the breeze with us amidst the sounds of a game of eight ball going on in the corner. Not familiar with that cocktail they ordered for you? Give Glenn a call and hear how that Dan User legend is concocted. Okay, full disclosure, we weren't actually in a Missouri bar room for this recording, but it was nearing happy hour time when we met up in Texas. It was a lot of fun for me personally, not only because of all the sibling jabs that I appreciate so much, but also because I've known Jerry and Janet Dan User and their offspring Glenn and Janae since about 2004. In fact, Jerry introduced me and an entire generation of farm equipment manufacturer convention attendees to the fun of trap shooting, a tradition he started as the association's president many moons ago. So in 1945, Grandpa Henry was the first to mass produce the post hole digger in the U.S. Henry Ford liked it, said it's great, but it's got to be painted you know, Dearborn red and it's got to say Ford Dearborn. Well, then Henry Danzer said, well, it needs to say Danuser on it. And so they argued it out, and one side goes to Ford Dearborn, one side goes to Danuser. And nobody really knew who Danuser was. Danuser didn't make anything. So it was kind of new. So using those marketing channels got the exposure for the Danuser name out. And then Grandpa Henry just took it further and further and started with click pins and ball joints and bar rod ends and clevis ends and so forth. That's Glenn Danuser talking about the marketing foresight his grandfather had when dealing with the likes of Henry Ford and G.I. Case, and what put their Swiss name of Danuser on the equipment world map. Every journey starts with a step, and before we cut over to the Danusers, I need to give a quick shout out to GKN off Highway Powertrain, who took that first step of support with us on this podcast journey. Today is their final sponsorship of the series we got going in January. As of recording time, GKN was in talks to be acquired by Dana in a $6 billion deal that would make the newly combined entity the largest supplier of axles and other driveline components on the planet. So here we go, the conversations with Glenn and Janae Danuser, starting with an overview of their business. So first question, tell us how you would describe your niche, uh, what the company does. This is where I get to say that Glenn doesn't really allow me to talk to the customers. I'm the back office, so <laughs> you give the sales pitch. All right, so we have about three different divisions at Dan User. We have a uh, OEM division, original equipment manufacturer, that we can make parts for all major tractor companies, a lot of tillage, approximately 1,000 customers there. Then we have the Dan User Attachment Line, which carries our name, of course. And that one is about 12 to 14 worldwide distributors. That's how we go to market, which they set up the dealers and go to the end users. And then the third one is more of a, a hobby. It's the uh, recoil reduction devices for the end of shotguns and rifles. I didn't know about that one. Learned something already. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's kind of a Jerry hobby business. Yeah. <laughs> it was brought on in the 80s. and. We continue to this day. Yeah. Tell us about, you have a long storied history. 
more than most of the manufacturers will sit down with. Tell, tell us about uh, the beginnings of Dan User. Whew. So we started in uh, 1910, and uh, one of the first products was a steam um, thresher, grain thresher. See, and as a little sister, I get to interrupt and correct him go. and say, mm -hmm. actually, our great-grandfather, the first product, Dan used a product, was more of a farm wagon. Farm wagon. He started more in Reedsville, Missouri, and moved his family to Fulton in 1910, and then the other. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so in 1945, uh, Grandpa Henry was the uh, first to mass-produce the post-hole digger in the U.S. From there, it went into the 50s for blades, um, rakes, uh, box blades, log splitters, post drivers, uh, hydraulic post hole diggers, earth augers, pallet forks, concrete breakers, material mixing buckets. I know I'm forgetting something, so we'll just stop it right there. But as you can see, as it gets, uh, mm. we really were doing innovative tools, I would say, in the 50s and 60s. He was way ahead of what everybody else was doing. Um, he would travel overseas, find some good ideas, and bring them back to America. And so that, uh, he had a very uh, long relationship with Henry Ford, J.I. Case, um, used their marketing distribution channels. He went to uh, Henry Ford to talk about a post hole digger for his eight ends, nine ends. He said, I got something that, that you need on your tractors. And uh, Henry Ford liked it, said, uh, that's great, but it's gotta be painted you know, Dearborn red and it's gotta say Ford Dearborn. Well, then Henry Danzer said, well, it needs to say Danzer on it. And so they argued it out, and one side goes to Fort Dearborn, one side goes to Danzer. And then he went to, to see uh, J.I. Case and had a three-point blade for them. And they said, we like it. It has to be painted. You know, the case, uh, I think it was more like an orange back then. And it had to have the eagle with the globe. No, it's got to say Danzer. And so there again, both sides of the equipment, everybody got their marks. And so using those two bigger companies uh, with well-known name brand recognition back then, nobody really knew who Danzer was. Danzer didn't make anything. Uh, so it was kind of new. So using those marketing channels got the exposure for the Danzer name out. And then uh, Grandpa Henry just took it further and further and started with click pins and ball joints and bar rod ends and clevis ends and so forth. And that's what sparked the OEM. You can interject any time here. I'm all yeah. over yeah. the board. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that actually Henry was also a dairy farmer. He had a, a well-known dairy in the area, Skygo Farms. And it was Skygo Farms. There was an airstrip out there. There still is an airstrip to this day. And obviously we've been in business long enough before the standardization of the three-point hitch. And that's what Glenn was referring to, making equipment to fit all of those tractors. And then obviously all of the serial number and model number tags that he was talking about. We have such an odd collection. Of, of tags for all the types of equipment that we've made through the years. Some of it as an OEM and some of it, you know, obviously carrying the Dan username. Um, but the OEM business, like for instance, we've supplied John Deere for well over 50 years, probably over 60 years now. Uh, it's primarily linkage type equipment. And like, and as Glenn said, virtually all the majors, uh, and, and quite frankly, a lot of the FEMA members are a lot of our customers as well. So it was very fortuitous that he hung in there and negotiated to have the Dan username and then I imagine that showed some courage at the time. Uh, I'm sure that was pretty big to go up against those two yeah. large companies, but uh, I think he had a vision and he had a dream and he knew that he needed to get the Danuser name somehow out there. And so we just keep that Danuser hard headedness alive today. Yeah. Very much. <laughs> yeah. And this was your grandfather. Mm -hmm. Correct. Did his father start the business? Yes, Casper was Henry's father. Okay. And it, it was officially established in 1910 in Fulton. Okay. 
Okay, and in the mid '40s is when <clears throat> the, that was a big defining moment for, for the, the takeoff of the attachments line, and then it grew. And I wouldn't you say the OEM business really more flourished under Dad, probably yeah. in the '80s. I mean, mm -hmm. it started earlier, and then it really took off more in terms of the number of customers and people that we were reaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Grandpa Henry had to develop the OEM line for his postal diggers and his other attachments, the click pins and the clevises and everything. So he needed those anyway. I think it was Dad that basically found that the, there's a lot of people that could use this type of stuff. Unfortunately, we missed out on a lot of our heritage. My grandfather, I was less than two when he died. We're the first ones that really have gotten to work with uh, you know, a parent for a long period of time. I think Henry probably worked under Casper for a while, and then he bought the business from his uh, siblings uh, when Casper died. But there's a lot of history that we missed out. We, we talked to a lot of locals and like, oh, your grandfather did this or your grandfather would say that, and we learned a lot probably about our own family history right. uh, that way. Right. Well, and I learned a lot about Grandpa through uh, one of the older employees that retired after 50 mm -hmm. years, Jimmy Lawrence, mm -hmm. and he drove the semis. We had tractor trucks and trailers back then. That's how you hauled it. You know, your old LTL of YRC roadway and everybody else wasn't really there. Well, before that, on the rail. Our, yeah, our, the rail. our warehouse location was actually on the railroad mm -hmm. line because we shipped everything by rail. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of trade shows with Jimmy and I always enjoyed riding in the truck and say, you know, tell me about Grandpa. Mm -hmm. And so he'd tell me a lot of stories and I hear from a lot of people that knew Henry that I have a lot of Henry traits, which I think is great. never mm -hmm. knew the man really, but uh, I do like to have things nice and shiny before I hit the road. Mm -hmm. uh, I think brand and image is everything. You, you've got to have that. And so, I think the way we look at it, it's sort of like the photographs that are in our front office. Our great-grandfather, it's actually a working photo. He's at a lathe, his hands are dirty, he's, he's a machinist, he's, he's in there. And then there's this... Oh, the Henry photo? Yeah, the Henry photo, oh, he's actually he's smoking a cigarette. He's and, got his cufflinks and his, his three-piece yeah. suit. And the, the one of Dad, he's actually leaning um, on some product that was outside the paint line. Uh, and then we've got our teeny, tiny... Yeah, we get this little picture on the wall. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> But we're building a new building this year, so we'll, we'll replace those yeah. photos, I'm sure. Yeah, excellent. Tell us the stories about Grandpa that you were heard on those drives mm -hmm. to the shows and some of the people in town. Well, Grandpa was uh, he was always in a full blown suit and tie. I don't think he'd like us calling him Grandpa. He, yeah. he wouldn't. Yeah. He probably wouldn't have been a Grandpa. No, yeah. Yeah. that's the kind of guy he was. I heard that he was dressed like that even on weekends. Mm -hmm. um, always thinking, <clears throat> um, always trying to get outside the box. Uh, his dairy that Janae spoke of, uh, he was the first uh, in the whole, was it Midwest, I believe, mm -hmm. that had stainless steel equipment. And he got that idea, I believe, from a trip to uh, Australia. Australia, I think, yeah. Yeah, and then had all of it uh, brought over, and he thought, he knew that this would be a good thing, and so he really was an outside-the-box thinker. He was very entrepreneurial. Right, and he could make things. I just imagine the man's mind was constantly spinning and going. His favorite car was a Mercedes Gullwing, and I heard stories that he <coughs> always had his, his trips that he made. He has his same hotels, the same doorman always called him by name. He called them by name. You know, it's great to see you. Oh, it's great to see you. He always knew he had that one-on-one -on -one relationship. So when he found something he enjoyed, he would stick with it. He wasn't, you know, one to go out and say, well, I didn't quite like that hotel. I think I'll go here. No, he stuck with one and, and made it a home. And it better be right. Yeah, it, it, it had to be It would be a nice right. one. It would be a clean one. It would be professional. I remember I'm the picking up some traits that I know about you from this conversation. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> Is the quality control, lay it out, paperwork, well, actually, our, <laughs> our motto is the same to this day. It's a quote from our great-grandfather, good enough won't do, it must be right. 
and it's actually on a large crane that would have been in Henry's era of building, and we've moved it over. I mentioned that we're adding on this year. We're adding on new office space, approximately 11,500 square feet, and it's got this large crane that's gonna be on display, and it's part of our main feature wall. A lot of companies come up with mottos or mission statements or various things, and we thought that really describes it, says it all. Yeah. For us, good enough won't do, it must be right. That's our heritage, that's our brand. Uh, we enjoy a very well-respected brand around the world and we appreciate that and honor that. I think one of my best stories though is the one about when he got out for dinner and he said, can I see the dessert menu? Excuse me? And he would always order his dessert first at his real nice restaurants. Cause he said, you never know when you're gonna die. <laughs> so you have to have a good dessert. Yeah. Poor guy actually he died in the middle of the construction of his office building because my current office is what would have been his garage. There's an actual little inset because of course garage doors were smaller then and so I was going to be what, or my office is what was going to be his garage and his was going to be upstairs and that's where we've got IT now. We're, we're spread out all over the place. We have a block and Glenn and I, this will be the first time we'll be under the same roof in about 15 years. Yeah, scary uh, times. Uh, yeah. So yeah. all the employees, <laughs> they put us at opposite ends of the building but yeah. it's a really long hallway and we're trying yeah. to figure out. Separation will be key. Yeah. <laughs> it was Henry a, a manufacturing type, a sales type? How would you I think he classify? was both, because I think he had a very clever engineering type mind. You see little notes, I've, I've found little notepads and things with drawings on it. Apparently he was always making notes. Was dueling. But he was always the quintessential businessman too, I think, that you think of in the 1950s and 60s. Mm -hmm. But he had a real good team too. Mm -hmm. He had yeah. a, a very unique uh, group of engineers. Yeah. Uh, like the click pins, you know, to make the click pin, um, you had to drill two holes in the pin head. Well, there, you don't just go shopping on the internet back in the 50s, you don't go shopping through Sears. I mean, mm -hmm. where do you go to buy a click pin machine? Well, guess what, there was none. And so one of the head engineers, uh, Clyde Wren, built the machines. And those are the machines we use to this day. So mm -hmm. when it breaks, you don't, you can't call someone for parts. There's no manual. Yeah. Um, we've, we've got to figure them out. But I guess that Clyde was sort of what they would, he was one of those geniuses that they'd say the morning buzzer would ring and he'd grab his coat. He didn't know if it was lunchtime, time to go home. Was never one that really watched the clock, was just a deep thinker. And, and yeah, well, you're right. We were very blessed to have some really yeah, incredible so had a good team. people through the years. Yeah. So t tell me about Jerry and how his path into the business and what, what he learned from his father and, and, and so forth. Tell me about how he grew the Well, business. that's a father-son thing, so you handle that. Glenn. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, see, Dad's still around, and I could get punished for this. <laughs> okay, so, uh, you know, when He's, Henry... He's not here, right? This isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. a surprise. Joe <laughs> <laughs> Bob in the, the closet. All right. Yeah. So when, when Henry passed, uh, you know, Dad got left, uh, you know, a big load in his lap. And, he and had how old was Jerry at that? That would have been 1975, so he would have been... Um, somebody uh, do the math for me. He's 30, born at 43, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, Young man. Yeah, obviously, <clears throat> 75. Yeah, in So, you know, I was, you know, what, three, four years old by mm -hmm. then, and so he had, you know, a couple young kids, and now he inherited a family business, and. He inherited uh, some debt. Debt, and, you know, he, you know, what do I do now? And so, uh, I think he really just buckled down and got with the team and kept the focus and continued the projects that I think Grandpa and the team were working on, and. And then once all that was kind of in the norm and the wheels were up and running, then uh, they kind of got together and said, okay, what do we want to do next? And that's when they started branching out and adding more, you know, more equipment, more to the splitter line, more to the drivers and so forth, and just kind of expanding on it. Because Henry died suddenly. It was, mm -hmm. in, it was, a, it was a heart issue. Heart yeah. issue, okay. Mm -hmm. and, and Jerry was working 
in what capacity at that? I don't remember what his title yeah. was at the time because I I get the sense that it was probably more of and I'm gonna chalk it up to European heritage. Um, maybe that it wasn't the same relationship that we had working with our father growing up, which I think that happens with every generation. You're somehow more relaxed, more comfortable, whereas uh, mm -hmm. you know then it wasn't the same. So he he had mentors that were other people in the company, probably even more so than what he was allowed to speak frankly with his own father mm -hmm. would be my my guess. Um, yeah, yeah, it's no different than like us, you know, the, a lot of the employees <coughs> in the shop or fathers, sons, brothers, mm -hmm. I mean, they've watched us, you know, grow up right. and, you know, terrorize the shop floor with the bicycle and then, oh my God, mm -hmm. who give Glenn a four-wheeler, now he's running that to the shop. <laughs> and so, you know, they've, they've been around, it's just a neat family atmosphere, and so I think you know, when he basically relied on the expertise that says, you guys were close to, to father. What do you think we ought to do? Well, you know, probably was expanding on this, was talking about this. All right, let's pick it up and let's go with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had some good guidance in the early years, I think, definitely. Mm -hmm. And we're very blessed to have a, a very strong management team um, right now in our tenure. And so right. we, we meet regularly, monthly, and obviously mm -hmm. we're meeting much more frequently right now. I keep referencing this new building because I really want it to be finished and I really want to move mm -hmm. in and I want to move on to something else. Yeah, I think we're finished playing Bob the Builder, kind of getting old. <laughs> you guys have done a lot of that. We well, about three years ago, we finished what was over 33,000 square feet of manufacturing space, and we're kind of hoping for one more. Yeah, one more up our sleeve. Yeah. Then I think we'll call it good, and maybe she'll be... kid's problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I told uh, my 10-year-old, I said, you're going to have to clear the debt now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's kind of funny, because Dad always told... That was one thing he always told us. He said, don't borrow money, because <clears throat> the banks, they, they want it. They want it back plus interest. So t tell us what happened at that point. What from the chapter that started in 75 up until when the two of you uh, got heavily involved as you did in the, in the, in the 90s, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, back then, <clears throat> things were really moving. Started to see more overseas uh, competitions trying to, to come in. Um, product liability, a lot of that was going on. It was a rough time. Of course, everybody- the 80s. The 80s was just a, a rough year. I mean, you know, we all say we're on this agricultural roller coaster and we are and I think it darn fell off the tracks and smacked into a wall back then mm -hmm. um, you know 170 year old company we had one layoff and it was back in the 80s when uh, dad uh, had to lay off the staff and obviously that was really tough for us when we hit our 100 year anniversary in 2010 mm -hmm. just coming off of 0809 2010 and it's hard to put on a big smile and celebrate when things were, were so down. But I think that we've definitely learned, and this is something that our, our father um, taught us and helped start, I think, uh, as well, well, clearly even back into Henry's days, the diversification mm -hmm. and not just riding with just the ag market. We're in a variety of industries um, throughout agriculture and construction. Mm -hmm. I always remember, keep your eggs in different baskets. <coughs> mm -hmm. Don't pile them all in one, because if that basket breaks, you'd lose your eggs. Mm -hmm. You know, So you gotta be prepared for this. I mean, we would all, hate to see everything collapse, but if one thing fell down, you get a couple more divisions to right. keep the lights on and keep the employees, because you gotta take care of them, their mm -hmm. family too. I came back in 96, uh, after several phone calls from father. <laughs> so where had where had you been? Went you over went to North Carolina. You went a couple of school, yeah. Uh, you were back in Kansas City, when he? Yeah, yeah, then I moved back to Kansas City. I was enjoying the the young nightlife. I was in sales. I was bouncing around doing retail sales and, and restaurant and bar. Bounce around as a young man, having a great time. Not a worry in the world. And he, boy, are you gonna come back? <laughs> okay, okay, yes, I eventually need to come back. I get it. And so 
I made my way back in 96 and it's just been a, a great ride and great experience and learned a lot, um, obviously. Uh, coming back, I was kind of sitting in my office, kind of looking over everything. I said, okay, this is what we do. And I think, hmm, I said, well, I wonder how we can get this really going. And so I made a few phone calls to some distributors and said, what do, what do we need to do? What's going on? How are we going to get more product out there? And we had some discussions, and it's, it was a while before we had something new. You know, we were really ramping up in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and in the 80s, and then things kind of, you know, mellowed out a little bit and, and so I, I kind of thought maybe that's what it is uh, maybe we need something new and they gave us some frank feedback yeah they are which was great because yeah. i mean i like the honesty what they tell you uh you're stale, stale. you're you're make the best postal digger your old company but you're stale like hey thanks i mean i'm not a tiptoe around the bush type of guy either mm -hmm. so i that thought sat there and thought about that and i was like that makes sense and so then we started putting plans together of how we're going to change it yeah. and Obviously, you want to add new products, but what do you want to add? You want to make the same old, same old? You want to do things different? Uh, and so we'd like to be different. And so we really put our minds together with our team and said, well, what if we do this and this and make it like this? And a lot of our new products took several years to come out of R&D and several more years to come out of testing. And uh, you'd like to ramp it up quicker, but you got to go back to the old history. Mm -hmm. Good enough won't do. It must be right. Nobody needs to test our products. Nobody. We need to test, design, and perfect it. Yeah. And then when we send it out there, we need to have that comfortable level that says, yep, yeah. there's another good piece of dangerous equipment. If it and, has our name on it, again, it's, yep. it's got to be right. We're not going to let it out the door mm -hmm. without we easily, knowing. Yeah. yeah, we could have shortchanged a lot of that and just thrown something together and you know, learn from customers. but. That's not the right way and to do that. And we've had people ask us and encourage us to do that through the years. Oh, if you guys would just do this or just do that, and you have to take a good long look in the mirror and say that's not who we are. Yeah, we're not in for the, the speed race. Mm -hmm. We're in for the long haul, <clears throat> which means we're going to be a little slower, but we're going to get it. We're going to do it right. We're a little slower sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. This is one thing I would give our parents credit. They never forced the business on us growing up. It wasn't, I mean, we obviously grow up in a family business, and you like to think that you leave work at home and you don't talk about it at the dinner table, but the reality is it's, it's your life yeah. uh, and livelihood. So there is a lot of conversation, but they never <laughs> forced it. And I think we actually had the conversation in high school because I remember just thinking, I don't think I want to sell postal diggers the rest of my life, Dad. And then you grow up and you realize there's a lot more to a business than selling one end product. And for me, in my case, it was more a matter of realizing that, yeah, we are family owned and operated, but like Glenn said, we truly are a family business in a lot of ways. There's lots of people, lots of generations of other families that have been tied to Danny's Machine Company through the years. And realizing that responsibility, I think, was really important. For, for me. Came back officially in you know, sales, marketing in 96. However, I grew up in the company and my first job in the company was pushing a wheelbarrow in the basement, mm -hmm. collecting steel shavings out of a machine and dumping them into the recycle pit. Mm -hmm. And so I would have to push this heavy, got awful wheelbarrow around and uh, dump them. And then I eventually moved up to assembly. I did assembly work, I did warehousing work. I actually was in tool and dye for about three to four years to learn how to, to read the different gauges and then thousands of an inch and uh, run mills and lays and so forth. That was pretty important because I wanted to be, didn't want to be the kid that came back into the family business and went straight into the office right. and said, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I wanted to be the guy that's 
that did all the work all through there. I did everything in the shop except for production work. And so I didn't do that. But nowadays, you know, you get, uh, get younger people in there and says, well, we're just, we just can't do it like mm -hmm. that. I'm like, well, hang on a second. I said, go top off my coffee and I'll be right back. And I said, show me what you're doing. And he's showing. I said, now hang on. I said, what if you tried this, this, this? Well, how do you know how to do that? I like, I did this. This is one of my jobs I did when I was younger. Oh, I said, what did you think I did? Figured you came on in and went mm -hmm. straight to sales. And that was a reason. You know, I wanted to learn everything the ground up. Mm -hmm. And so I liked that and I'm gonna try to do the same thing. I, I agree with Janae. The, Mom and dad never pushed the company on us and just left it there and said, if you want to work, you know, you want to work there, fine. You don't, fine. I mean, I, we were mowing the yards outside the shop, you know, getting paid for that too when we were young. My first job was getting flies. Yeah, you were a fly killer. Yeah, and when it went up to like 10 cents a fly, I started going outside. Oh, yeah. 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 I was. There's not a safe fly. Yeah. <laughs> what was your path into this? Business. Came back full time in '99. I graduated college in '96, and I moved out to Seattle for a couple years and um, had some work experience there. And I like to think I learned a lot of uh, good lessons working for other people, some things to do and some things, a lot of things not to do as an employer. And so that that was really good. And I remember, um, in particular, a, a, a tragedy that happened to an employee, and that was part of the pull. And then Glenn and Dad were calling me and, and letting me know this news and said. You know, do you have an interest in, in coming back? And we kind of joked to this day. He was telling me, yeah, you said you were just going to come back and clean things up for a few years. I was like, I don't think <laughs> yeah. that was quite the way it went. Now she's built a house in town. <laughs> yeah. But I do remember thinking, well, I don't know that I'll stay in Fulton. Mm. I mean, I was in Seattle. Out of a need. You were needed to come back. And to oh, yes, he desperately needed yeah. my help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, I think that um, there was certainly... Um, I could contribute on a certain level there and, and add to some things that we, we needed and, and my background in organizational management uh, leaves you to, to think that you can do some things in a, in a family-owned business and, and we, we did, we, you know, I think in those early years. And we have a very unique skill set with each of us and it blends well. That's a good way of putting it. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. how, would, good. how would you describe that unique skill set? I just Tell made us. that up. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's unique. Yeah. <laughs> well. I, we balance uh, I, each other well. Yeah, I really like to, to deal with people. I like to see people. I do all the trade shows. I travel to dealers. I like to listen, you know, what's the need on the farm, the house, what's the problem, and try to think, hmm. And I kind of tend to do a little doodling myself and say, well, what if we made something like this and throw it to the engineers? And, and so I'm kind of good with that. Um, I really enjoy the sales aspect and the marketing. I was pretty good in marketing in school. Um, and Janae is very detail-oriented, and she can keep us all on the straight and narrow path. I can crack the whip. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I tend to go left and right. And yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people assume that maybe some employees are more fearful of me, or I, I don't know exactly. That's not the right word because I would certainly say that's <laughs> not that's yeah. not the case. When they come to me with their wide variety of personal issues, sometimes very personal issues, I'm like they're not that scared of me if they're going to tell me right. all the things that they do. But that again, that's part of being family owner operators. We think that that's what's different. You treat people differently. You listen. There's situations that happen in people's lives sometimes outside of their control, and you deal with it as best you can mm -hmm. and in a, a, a fair way by listening to each person. So we have fun, but we also get the business done. Yeah. 
Yeah, He's front office and back office. We have our management group, and so it's a diverse group, but Glenn's technically has more of the manufacturing sales side, where again, I've got the back office of IT, accounting, HR, payroll, but we, we really do most of the major decisions together. We'll get back to Glenn and Janae's story in a moment, but first a word of thanks to GKN, who sponsored our travels and time in bringing you these interviews. To learn more about how GKN improves farm machinery, visit www.gknoffhighwaypowertrain.com. And now, we'll get back to the Dan users. The balance of this episode today will cover a virtual tour of their facility, some early memories of mischief in the plant that involved tennis balls and Evil Knievel-style motorbikes, the time that Janae threw an iron casting at her brother and broke the shop door, and you'll also uh, hear how the experience in the bar industry formed Glenn's customer service approach today. And once again, remember that Dan User has its own mixed drink, the Dan User Legend. So sit back and enjoy part two of the podcast. If you were going to describe for our, our listeners what they would see if they walked into your, your operation. We're like a one-stop shop. I mean, a lot of people think that we just make a certain end product, you know, they associate us with the Daniels or Postal Diggers, but we have our own maintenance and tool and die departments. We've obviously got a variety of steel storage areas because we've got plate, bar, tube, you know, wide variety of raw material that we're bringing in to make our, our products. We've got fabricating, welding, machining. Are you over there counting for me? No. Oh, <laughs> assembly, powder coat painting. Um, we're, we're just, again, the one-stop shop. We do have to send outside for services such as heat treat or zinc plating or things along those lines. But uh, otherwise, we're doing all the manufacturing in-house. But you're going to see history. I mean, when you mm -hmm. walk in, you're going to see the family history. You're going to see yeah. the portraits of uh, all the generations, calendar that was used back in 1910. You're going to walk out in the shop, and you're going to see the, the good enough won't do must be right on the crane. You're going to see automated machinery. You're going to see uh, CNC computerized uh, And you're also robotics. going to see some older manual yeah. machines. You're going to say, and well, what is that? Well, that's a homemade Danish machine. Well, that too. But I also think, like, say, a screw machine, a Wickman Acme, screw machine. But those Wickmans were from the early 60s, I mm -hmm. think, or maybe one was moved in the 68. I found photos of it you know, being put into service. And those machines, the, I mean, those are good manual machines that, that work. And sometimes you prefer those to those computerized brains that don't always work. But there's a lot of high-tech equipment as well. You know, we've got a laser and a lot of CNC equipment. And yep. So I've known Jerry, I don't know, 12, 13 years or so, but it, even early on, he'd handed the wheel over to the company to, to you guys. Was it about that time period that... He's still our president and um, chairman of the board, um, but obviously the day-to-day -day operations for many years we, we've been handling. I, but we certainly didn't take it over any time soon. It, we, we were there. Yeah, like, like you said, you know, once we decade. were back and, and kind of in the business, then he didn't really need to come in every day, and he yeah. didn't really want to come in every day. We can He's, pick his brain whenever we want. Yeah. Right. right. We can call a board meeting and really screw up the shooting. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think that um, you've learned from, from Jerry and Mom about business principles that are embedded in your DNA and you hope certainly pass those very same I would say ethics, morals, shoot straight, don't ever lie. You don't know the answer, get the answer, get back to the people. You know, this, this industry is built on relationships. That's what it is. 
Okay, people buy from you because of who you are and how you deliver yourself. We've been with vendors for, I don't know, I mean, suppliers for 50 plus years, and we know we can get the parts cheaper, but we don't have any problems. Okay, so it's not necessarily driven by cost. You gotta ask yourself, why are we sitting here? Why are we a, a you know, fourth generation, 107 year old family company? And I can only come up with one word, and that's quality. So mm -hmm. don't ever forget the roots of good enough won't do it must be right. We don't need to go out and shop all the components and start saving pennies, nickels, and dimes, and sometimes dollars. Because what happens if the life of the product then is shortened and things start to fall apart? You know, it's, it's not about the, uh, the cost. You gotta keep the quality. And I would add the lessons we talked about earlier that he you know, always told us, don't borrow money, the banks want it back plus interest being good stewards of our money and, and making sure that we've got work we're, we're comfortable and we can make payroll and saving up for capital improvements and, and things that we need to do. So we can be fairly conservative um, probably when it comes to our financial matters. And I, and I think actually some of our longer term employees were pr pretty nervous in, in 09 and 10 coming out. We knew that business was going to come back and we made some significant capital investments at that time that I think typically the hunker down mentality of some of the older generation, they were a little nervous, but as soon as it came back, we were prepared. And we really have not slowed down since. Well, that first uh, building, what was that, four, four years ago? <coughs> that three expansion years ago, yeah. three years mm -hmm. ago. I mean, we decided as a group that we need to start a nest egg and just mm -hmm. get the count going. And we had meetings and, you know, how much money does the count need to have and how much, you know, life or, or term, if something, everything falls apart, you know, how long you want to make your payments. And so that was, we just stuffed that account. And we said, okay, now we feel a little better. We're gonna go ahead and sign on the dotted line and we're gonna borrow all that money. But well, that, yeah, that was actually, we're grateful to our city and obviously our area, mm -hmm. we used a bond for that. That yeah. was a manufacturing expansion, but that was over a, quite a period of time that we just got prepared for that. Mm -hmm. You obviously can't do something like that in just a couple of years. I'd say something else that I in particular learned from dad, and this is where we balance each other, and I call it a pro, and you might sometimes call it a con, is the ability to sit on the fence sometimes. Sometimes it's just listening. You don't have to make a decision. Sometimes being quiet actually empowers others to make the decision that needs to happen. But I think that, that listening and stopping and thinking as opposed to just, okay, let's make a decision and roll. I mean, there's obviously there's a time and a place for making a decision and moving forward. But I think there's time to, to just sit and think until he pokes me and says, <laughs> Pick a direction. I was sitting there thinking, I'm kind of Ferrari. I'm sitting there, vroom, 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 yeah. let's go. Yeah. And I'm like, just paint the yellow lines for him so he stays within the yellow lines. So, so if we have listeners out here who had not met Jerry, or how would you d describe your father? First thing you didn't realize is, you know, he's going to sit there and look you in the eye and he's going to talk to you. Okay. Um, he's not the type of executive CEO that you, you can't approach. Um, we all have an open door policy. Anybody can come see us anytime. And so I think you would just start to talk to them about either your equipment needs or what you have going on or what you're thinking about. And he could relate to you and quickly streamline it and help you uh, overall achieve what you're looking for. I don't know, you got anything I, else? I think people do find him surprisingly approachable. You know, they might look at a, a man in a suit and his, he's probably known for his cowboy boots. You probably remember seeing mm -hmm. him in a cowboy hat and cowboy boots. Mm -hmm. and. But he's, he's pretty down to earth. He is. He's passionate too, though. He can get wound up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your some of your earliest memories with the company? I remember smacking the tennis ball up against that wall in Tool and Die. Mm. Nolan told me it used to drive Harold nuts. Mm -hmm. I never thought about 
people on the other <laughs> side of the wall. I mean, I was into tennis, and so yeah. I was out there, whack, whack, whack. She was using the brick wall until I die as a backstop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the machinist in there, I think, was about At least I wasn't riding my bike through the shop. Well, yeah. You know, after hours, of course. Mm. But uh, I, I really loved it. There's a huge concrete ramp coming out mm. of the basement. And I had this great idea. And my four-wheeler, and I said, You're full of great ideas. hit this ramp, <laughs> I hit this hard enough, I think I can sail all the way into the steel room. That's a good, I don't know, 30 yards clearing concrete. I said, I can do this. Hey, watch the traffic up there, watch the traffic down. And I hit it, and I cleared it, and I ended up sliding, smacking the wall. And then here comes Dad. Yeah, and I was trying to get that bike restarted and get it out of the building. <laughs> it was too late. So, but now, had a lot of fun. I, you know, it's funny because um, I have friends who will sometimes come by and visit, and they're like, ooh, what's that smell? I'm like, coolant, oil. Like, mm -hmm. I just, you, you love the, <laughs> that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, that's the smell of our life. Or, you know, it's on your clothes, it's in this, this fro here. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just, it's who, it's who we are. We're metal manufacturers. And, and I'm always amazed that people who come through and go, wow, you have a really clean shop. Because I know that Henry would be turning over his grave, our grandfather, because I think it was probably pretty pristine in those days and we're not a pharmaceutical company we're not you know in this nice pretty retail environment we m turn raw steel into products and mm -hmm. that can be a messy process both of you weren't, weren't sure exactly whether you were going to come back to the mm -hmm. business so what is it that ultimately when when that light bulb turned on so this is something i got to be part of you know you, you watch your your parents um life and they were fortunate to do some traveling and some hunting and I thought, you know, uh, I'd like to have that freedom, I'd like to be uh, my own boss. Boy, you got snowed, didn't you? Yeah, big <laughs> Yeah, now look at me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the same building now with her. That was oh. not part of the plan. <laughs> but no, it's just to create the, the future. I mean, to, to actually think that, hey, I'm not just going to work from, you know, eight to five or whatever, <clears throat> nine to five, and just, and you're, you're sitting there, you're actually doing something and you're changing it and you're making it go. And you can control this ship. I mean, if you want to go slow, fast, hard turn, U-turn, whatever, you've got that power to do it. And so it's kind of exciting to see it, you know, just take off and spread its wings and it's starting to glide now. I don't know. I don't really know what brought it out. It's thinking that, okay, I was sick of the, the, the retail, the restaurant, the, the bartending type stuff. I was like, I want to do something different. You know, in those type of positions, you're always catering, you know, for those people, and it's right there. And don't get me wrong, I do the same thing today, but I get to do it on a different level, different scale. You know, the, the, the bar, you know, they come and they sit down, they wait for a table, they get a drink. Okay, well now they're coming into the booth at the trade show, and they want to know more about your product line. They want to know more about your company and how you do things, and that's your opportunity to get up and go. For me, it was more of thinking of the employees, all the people that we're associated yeah. with, um, you know, not just obviously the customers and, and maintaining a business and, you know, obviously Glenn's married, has two kids and so we can think of a fifth generation and try not to pressure them. I don't. And, and luckily Corbin is very fortunate. He has a younger sister that can... Uh, <laughs> I, I see very similar yeah. traits because he's kind of like me, you know, I'm yeah. going to call him the little Porsche. He likes to get up and go. Yeah. But sister, I've been she watching can, her. I she think, can keep him straight. I see yeah. an engineer in her. Ooh. She likes to tinker, and I mean, the little little six-year-old has been putting puzzles together from when she was a little kid, and you know, I always shoot the top of the box to cheat, right? Mm -hmm. See how it goes together? Yeah, she just throws it aside. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, what is she doing? I come back five, ten minutes later, it's finished. 
I think she's detail oriented. She might make a good product engineer. Your fourth generation. <laughs> that spot is old as the most generations we're going to find in this group out here. Um, do you do you come across many companies that are in their fourth generation? I think actually, like in this association, there are several. You know, obviously, family owned and operated mm -hmm. businesses, <clears throat> and that's neat. Out in our regular dealings, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. And I think we're very cognizant of the fact that we're an American manufacturer. We make things, we're creating jobs in this country. We don't want to see everything outsourced. Of course, we could have all our products made everywhere throughout the world, across the pond, down south, wherever it would be uh, far less expensive than it is to manufacture it in Fulton, Missouri. Mm -hmm. But we have committed roots there. Uh, when you look at our building and our, our outline, we talk about that giant ramp. We're not the traditional manufacturing layout where you have this big, nice, flat piece of property with big buildings and they all get connected and it's a nice logical flow. We have to do a lot to design with the block that we have, mm -hmm. but we own the block and it's there and it's paid for and that's where we're going to be. It's where we have been since 1910. Yeah, it seems that looking forward, mm -hmm. there just doesn't seem to be like we're going to continue to see the, this kind of thing. It's very unique. Mm -hmm. Some of the older companies we've seen have, have sold out to other, other companies. What do you think are the what are the keys to those who want to see it passed on to that, in your case, fifth generation? Change. Don't be scared of change. You have to think outside the box. You have to take your blinders off. What you've been doing for several years, like building quality pieces, that shouldn't change. But building the same pieces, that should change. Okay, and so you need to address what's, what's happening, what's changing in the world. How is farming changing? How is construction, utility? All these industries are changing. When you got drones and you got automated tractors and, and so forth, and so you, you've got to you got to keep going forward, and you got to you can't be scared. And I think that's where some people are like, well, I don't really know if I want to go here. And I was like, get in there. And I think it's also not just business model in terms of products and what you're selling and your vision of your company. There are a lot of logistics involved and passing on a business. Politics and finances and taxes and all that sort of stuff, we could all talk for a long time, but there are a lot of logistics involved in taking over a business. We know that most companies never get to the third generation. Mm -hmm. So if you were doing a Harvard business case study on the reasons why you guys not only got through three, but are, are in four and can see five, what, what would you say it is? Well, just lucky. Yeah, yeah, rolling the dice. Now, um, you know, a lot of companies, customer service seems to be a dying breed. They get really big, and it's automated system. And before you know it, you're pinging all over the world, and you get to somebody that doesn't really know what you need, and it's just frustrating. You send an email to a company. So I kind of think the bigger they get, the less customer service. I haven't really found a good, large company that has pristine customer service. And so I'm an end user shopper as well. I send an email, I don't hear from you, boom, I'm moving on to the next competitor. Okay, and so we have to pride ourselves in customer service. Don't forget what got you here. What got you to the third, fourth generation? And you stick with it. You can't say, well, we're just getting so busy, we just can't do that nowadays. No, you need to figure out how to do it and how to incorporate it and how to streamline it, maybe automate it, make it better. And but so, stick to your values. Yeah, you got to stick to it, you know, because that's what I, I always get upset with companies. It's like, all right, now how did you get this big? You worked hard, you had excellent customer service, and then you get this bid, and now what's suffering? Your customer service, and, and so you know, it's huge. And I get frustrated all the time dealing with other companies like that. We also very cognizantly try to limit our growth. We don't have ambitious goals. We don't want to be 50% growth in one year. 
that's not really us and we want to do what's manageable and what's right for us. Obviously we wish to grow our business like every person in business and we've been uh, fortunate to do that but we're trying to do it at a very reasonable manageable pace that again sticks to our principles. Slow and steady wins race. I mean we could go out there and buy companies and acquire them but that's you got enough problems with your own. Yeah. Okay, so just fix your own yeah. home. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then if that home is spotless and very efficient, then go out there and get more. Our audiences are often, you know, farmers, dealers. What do you think that many people do not realize about running a short-line equipment manufacturing operation? What what the could time, we even the energy, the gray uh, hair. The, yeah, yeah, look at that one. Uh, <laughs> He's older. <laughs> uh, the time away from your family. He doesn't have to work with himself, right? That's yeah, there you go. Yeah. I don't argue a lot with myself. Yeah. I, I, a lot of these are named Glenn. Yeah. I definitely have, have named each one. So. But I, it's, uh, I think a lot of people think it's just easy street. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, you guys, you know, get to do what you want. And just, you know, it's not. I mean, you really have to think about it. Right now, we're what ninety mid nineties employees or something Be like that. Between ninety and five and a hundred full time employees. Yeah. yeah. So that's the next family you got to worry about. Of course, you got your you know your own family, but then you get them. Okay, you have to take care of them because they have children, they have wives, girlfriends, and they need the stability, and and you need it too. And so it's a it's a compromise. You got to work this thing through, and it's our job to keep the lights on, keep the machines running, finding new things to put on them. If our if this machine's only running at twenty percent production, well, let's find some other stuff to put on this machine, and let's get it going. And so, you know, along lines of perceptions, that's one extreme. I think people think that yeah, sure, it's it's easier running the show. But I think there's also that other extreme, and this is not to alienate our audience, but I think that we could all look in the mirror and go, sometimes in agriculture we get a little doom and gloom, and you know, it's raining too much, or it's drought, or it's this, or it's that, and, and we're, uh, I like to consider it more realistic than pessimistic. Mm -hmm. um, but those challenges, sometimes I think that we can, can get a little down in the challenges, when in reality, it, there's a lot of optimism, and there's a lot of moving forward, and there's a lot of innovation, and and still entrepreneurial spirit alive in our industry. What keeps each of you up at night? Hmm. Yeah, I was up before this morning still thinking. I, the mind just doesn't seem to want to <laughs> shut off. <laughs> but uh, nothing really. I mean, I, I don't feel like... Uh, Hence the gray hairs. You're sleeping <laughs> fine. Yeah, see, I'm yeah. curled up all of my pillow, uh, and I'm sleeping great, you know. Yeah. The city administrator asked me uh, earlier this year, he's like, hey, do you ever just go home at night and have a glass of wine and sit back and think, man, this is, this is really great. I, I, yeah, I frequently go home and have at least one glass of wine <laughs> and, and think about our, our business. Um, I think there's, just, there's a lot of stress and pressure, like we say, just of thinking about everybody, all the employees. We, on the whole, I think um, we agree on our, our business model and, and philosophy. We, we know that if we're doing right by the company and we're doing right by the employees, the customers are going to be taken care of because yeah. we're making the products. We, we know that the customers will be fine. We're more concerned about the, the other side in terms of uh, making sure that we're doing right by our company and our employees. Part of the secret to family run fourth generation companies yeah. here is, is getting along. You both have, I've known you both for a number of years, both strong personalities. Father, mother, I think, are, have strong personalities as well. How do you how do you manage this this together? Was this difficult to uh, do what you're what you're doing, or well, was this natural? Well, we said but no. that, that, that went to the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, you know, 
we can complement each other. We work very well together. You know, I kind of think back, you know, boy, them childhood days. I still remember her throwing that that big cast iron piece at me that went through the door. You <laughs> threw, slammed the door in my face first and I broke don't my. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Imagine that. Who won that one? <laughs> well, it the, was a draw. Yeah, the, the door the, definitely the door lost. Cashed yeah. out. <laughs> okay, but you know, and you, you kind of go back. It's like, you know, am I can be working with that? You know, but now that we're older, or I gotta say how much older, but now. One year, 11 months, seven days, and about an hour. But nobody really counts. We basically say he's roughly two years mm -hmm. older. And so it's pretty easy, you know, and I, I think we both get along. We bounce things off of each other. You know, we have an understanding that things are going back in, you know, we're not gonna, she's not running off buying, uh, you know, lavish things. I'm not buying lavish things. Keep it back. Reinvest in the company. A lot of people would want to, you know, take things and go. And we're, we've made a commitment to put it back into the company and reinvest in the equipment, the facility. And of course, that means just more jobs. But again, the balancing each other, even yeah. if we get angry or we disagree, which never happens. Never. Uh-uh. You know, bottom line is we're related. We're gonna, Thanksgiving is going to come around the corner every mm -hmm. year, you know. So, I mean, it's just not taking it personally. Yeah. No yelling in front of employees, no arguing in front of employees, stuff like that. Is there much friction? No. I, well, I, I say no. <laughs> Do my, are my eyes communicating? No. Yeah. no, I mean, on the whole, I think um, we actually we do have pretty good senses of humor and we, well, you got to. I mean, yeah. if you want me to just you be know, a stiff and cry. go into work, I'm going to yeah. be bored. You know, I'm yeah. going to have fun. I mean, I'm, I'm very much work hard, play hard. Mm -hmm. And we can do both. There's no way that I think that I could do it on my own. No. And no. he might be my brother, and I don't really want to compliment him while he's sitting next to me. <laughs> or anything, yeah. But he does he's a good job, I and I really like really to work with yeah. him. And, yeah. No, I mean, uh, and we do, I mean, you asked uh, about our, the holiday season at the Dan User Home. Uh, all of our birthdays are in the fall. I kick things off with Halloween. Some, some years Glenn's on Thanksgiving, our mom's before that, our dad is in December, and then there's Christmas. It's great shopping once uh -huh. a year. It's, it's over and done with. But we see our parents virtually every day, and they're coming by the office, stopping, or, you know, somebody's calling, talking to somebody. Uh, I'm frequently finding out where there's a free meal. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's going to be a late night at the shop. Hey, mom, do you have any leftovers? Uh, that sort of thing. I don't think we talk a lot of shop. Found out not too long ago, you know, a few years <coughs> ago, talking to dad and you know, explaining some frustration. You kind of get that deer in the headlight, and I was like, okay, yeah, he doesn't know the employee because that's a new employee. That machine wasn't around when he was, and that product wasn't. Okay, yeah. But he, you can still see his blood pressure rising. It's like that's really yeah, not nice to do. No. So we probably should stop <laughs> yeah. this conversation. So we just, you know, just go get a drink and. Just talk, yeah. you know, the, the Thanksgiving dinners, the Christmas dinners, we do all that together. Um, we just have a good family time, really. We don't, don't need to sit at the table and talk shop. Yeah, that's who we are. Question, I'm going to ask Glenn this question too, but three words or less that describe your brother in the business. And oh, you're, you're getting a head start, I guess, so. Yeah, really. Three words that describe, I mean, the first word that popped in my head, because you used it earlier, is you're the Ferrari, so, but I'm not going to... I was thinking good looking, but... Well, people often say we look alike, but um, <laughs> no. no woman wants to hear that she looks like her brother or her father. <laughs> people tell me all the time, too, you look like your dad. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's great. Um, let's see, three words to describe Glenn. Oh, this is killing me. Actually, believe it or not, he's very friendly. Um, he... <laughs> He's a good people person. He gets along with people really well.
And I, there is no better salesperson, there's no better person to market and sell Dan user equipment than Glenn Dan user. Obviously, he knows it the best. Um, he's really, an, look away, don't listen. Yeah. He's an excellent oh. vehicle operator, you know, skid steers, he can get in any model skid steer. He's not afraid to jump on anybody's tractor or anything else and get dirty and get out there and get it done. So to, I have, there's a real level of comfort to know that he's taking care of the customers. So that wasn't three words that or less. That was a lot of words. Three words. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could you, synthesize that, I'll get you a recording that, of this, Glenn, too, as well. What What are your three words describing Janae's strengths in the business? Three words. Her three words. Well, um, very detail-oriented, level-headed. It's kind of yeah. It's kind of like you know, I run wild, and she can help pull me back and you know get me focused when I like to just go go go. And so, so would you like me to give you three words? No, just kidding. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be good. <laughs> See, there's the detail oriented. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I couldn't come up with three words. I know, so. but she, she is very level-headed. Um, she's got a, a very uh, professionalism about her. I'm practical. Practical, yeah, and she can Frugal. help, yeah, help diffuse or come up with suggestions and and stuff like that. So. Uh, and actually, you really have that skill as well. Whenever my tensions are running high and something that's happening on my end, and he can come over and help talk me down. So we do that together, and so. So you'll have to come up with three words on your own. Yeah. There's there's three in there I can find. You can find them. Yeah. What would you like to be when you're your parents' age? And and let's say that you know your kids well, and like your nieces retired. and nephews. Yeah. But what would you like to uh, be remembered as? With that fourth, the fourth generation of management of this company, what will be your mark? Uh, risk taking, change, diversification. But I, I think your kids will probably be grateful that yeah. we took some of those risks. I think that it's kind of cyclical through generations in terms of risk taking, and the fact that we have gone to great lengths to really add some of the infrastructure and physical footprint that we needed to do now that will allow for growth for years to come, and I think that they will very much enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, we're not building these buildings for, for per se, us. And right now, I mean, it, we are, but we're also building for the next 100 years. Keep the name alive, keep the company alive. We would love to think that they, they thought we were very wise and... Very, yeah, yeah smartest yeah. business people they ever knew. Yeah. You know, that, that would be a good one. Mm -hmm. Always looked up to uh, father and, uh, and aunt. Uh -huh. And so uh, I can just keep going with this. Yeah. <laughs> It's good thing we're all wearing boots. Yeah. The fourth know. generation is about building for the future, it sounds like. Yeah, we're, very anything... co we're cognizant of that. Well, I mean, if, if we didn't really think this was going to go anywhere and we really didn't want to do anything with it and we want to just cash out, then we wouldn't be expanding. We actually just, his kids just put their handprints in where our flagpole is going to be yeah, cool. in our new business. And so we've got their initials and the date and yeah. their handprints in there. So I, I like to think, man, 20 years from now, yeah. if you know, when they're there and they come back and they yeah. look at that and they go do the hands yeah. over their hands. We all look at our hands these days and go, wow, there's a lot of change, a lot of wrinkles in hands, and I imagine them yeah. doing that. So it's interesting to listen to the kids now, you know, because they, you know, Corbin's like, well, I'm gonna, he wrote a little article in his, uh, his school paper. The teacher said, oh, you gotta read this. I was reading it on the wall, and it says, I wanna work with, with my dad when I grow up. I, I wanna, what do you say, uh, want to work with him and run the company and the teacher's sitting there grinning. I said, what? She goes, turn it over. And it says, when he's dead. <laughs> I was like, wow. 
Okay, appreciate that, son. Like a family tradition. Yeah. So he's making room for you. <laughs> I guess yeah. so, or he's getting my office early. <laughs> so I don't know, but I, I would hope that we're both able to work with them mm -hmm. and that they're going to come in and do it and they actually have good heads on their shoulders. I'd like to just kind of sit back and enjoy the ride and just kind of be there because we can't sit there and just tell them, you know, you got to do it this way, you got to do this. Remember mm -hmm. the change. The times are changing. You got to let them change. I mean, if if dad would try to distill everything that he did through the 80s and 90s, would we be where we are now? I don't know. So he realized we got to give that freedom to let them fail, let them succeed, let them try. And, and in, so, in the early years, we were kind of aggravated in the beginning. We'd hear that, oh, we, we tried that. We did this. You know, we can't do that. And it's like, no, this, you know, we're going to take a different look. And sometimes it's just really hard to see your own tree through your own forest. And so we bring a fresh, fresh air. Hey, gotcha. Thanks to Glenn and Janae for their story, and also to GKN for helping make this podcast series possible. Check GKN out at www.gknoffhighwaypowertrain.com. And as mentioned earlier, while we were on studio deadline here, GKN was about to be acquired by the U.S.-based Dana in a $6 billion deal. Stay tuned with our Ag Equipment Intelligence and On the Record programs. We'll have more on that news as it develops. Again, this is GKN's final installment as sponsor, and we thank them for supporting this launch. And if you have a moment, I ask that you please thank them as well. But don't worry, we'll be back in another two weeks with yet another all-new program for you. Before we sign off today, remember that you can receive the next episode the very moment it's completed by signing up to receive the Farm Equipment Podcast free on your favorite podcast channel. And I'd be remiss here without a shout out to the audio talent here at Lesser Media, Jeff Lazeski and Joe Kinsley. Thanks guys, appreciate it. So thanks for joining me today for the conversation with Glenn and Janae Danuser of Danuser Machine Company. Till next time, I'm Mike Lesser of Farm Equipment and Rural Lifestyle Dealer, signing out on How We Did It, Conversations with Ag Equipment's Entrepreneurs. <laughs>